Welcome to Bombs and Barrels, a podcast that explores the inspiring stories of veterans and surfers who have been transformed through the power of surfing and the ocean. Hey, this is your host, Lance Junker, and my guest today is pro surfer and big wave legend, Sean Dollar. Sean is an epic dude who set not one but two world records for the biggest wave ever surfed. But more importantly, Sean has an incredible story of survival and recovery and is now on a mission to help others. Sean and I have a lot in common. For one, we are both Cal Poly grads. We both have incredible wives who put up with loads of our crap. We both have suffered broken vertebrae, debilitating traumatic brain injuries, and a long recovery. We both see the same doctor for our TBI, and we're both surfers. Okay, that last one is a stretch, but we both have boards in our hands as we walk out into the ocean, so you gotta count it, right? Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting, man. Yeah, Lance, nice to meet you. You too. I've heard, uh, heard a ton about you and you know both our involvement with uh, Operation Surf, so we know a lot of the same people. And then it was really uh, Dr. Gordon, who I see for you know my TBI and awesome. other brain-related issues, and uh, he was like, hey, I, you know, I heard you're starting this podcast about you know surfing and you know veterans who've been transformed yeah. through surfing. He's like... I know this guy, he's, <laughs> he, he said something funny, like, uh, he's like a high wave surfer, I think is what he called you. <laughs> yeah, high wave exactly. surfer. Oh, Dr. Gordon, we will get to him and what he has done for both of our recoveries later in the episode. But for now, let's start from the beginning of Sean's story. I guess I, I started surfing at a really young age, as kind of early as I could remember being at the beach, my dad surfed. So taking me and my brother boogie boarding and um, I, I don't know. I was probably like six or eight when I caught my first wave wow. and uh, held out with my dad and my brother and my brother was, didn't want my dad to leave his side. And I was just like, so antsy to get out there that I paddled out on my own. And it was kind of this amazing experience. I caught my own wave on my first, as a little kid and stood up and rode it all the way to the beach and uh, was just hooked. Uh, and ever since that day, I've wanted to surf like every day. Um, and I've tried a bunch of other sports. I've, I love there's, there's, I have some other sports that I like, but I don't love them. You know, like it's always been the thing that's like captured me, whether I tried to play soccer or baseball or mountain biking or, you know, it was always surfing, surfing, surfing. So I finally like, around college and high school college decided like why am I even trying like to entertain myself like I just want to surf after school I just want to surf in my free time and um you know I grew up in Santa Cruz and a lot of my friends became pro surfers and a lot of the guys in my neighborhood were professional surfers so it was uh it was definitely a career path when I was younger but I kind of knew like with kind of the way that my parents were, they wanted me to go to college and, um, weren't supporting my, 
my interest in surfing, like surfing was my own thing and my own free time. And it just felt like I was not going a professional surfing route. So I went to uh, Cal Poly and, um, you know, surf the whole time I was down there. And when I was living down there, we, there's, you know, there's this coastline's huge in the central coast and there were some big waves that I learned how to surf some big waves on. And, um, what were you going to Cal Poly for and majoring in? I get, it looks like you got a master's in surfing while you were there, but <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I studied graphic design. Okay, um, cool. I loved artwork. I mean, I still do a, a bit of artwork, but it was, it was, it was a trippy major cause now I'm doing sales, but what it, it taught me to do was like market myself, sell myself, uh, and, how to create things. And so, you know, to be honest, like looking back, the perfect balance would have been like a minor in business or like an art degree with a business degree, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. Cal Poly. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just floating around. Yeah. It's a rude awakening for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was great. I mean, through all the stuff I do, I got a, a good eye for what I, for what I'm selling and, working in the surf industry and I, and I use my graphic talents all the time on my own projects. It kind of fast forward to getting out of school and continuing to surf and surfing was always for fun for me. It was always my passion and I love surfing big waves. And if the waves were big, I was going to go meet them. I wasn't looking for like the small wave to like go escape. Um, and I got into being a sales rep. And long story short is basically I was working as um, skin dog, um, professional big wave surfer at the time, Mavericks. Um, I was working as a sub rep with Volcom. So, you know, I was with him for like two years every day. Wow. And uh, we surfed together. He knew I surfed, but, you know, I was really pretty quiet and modest about surfing big waves. And but he just, he talks, he talks and talks and talks like, and he was always be like prying. So what you've, you've surfed a big wave before, how big, <laughs> like, and just like always trying to get it out of me. And I was just like pretty humble about it, but I was surfing. I, I, I knew I'd surf pretty big waves, but I didn't think of myself as like a big wave charging surfer because sure. I was like looking up to Mel and flea and skinny surfing Mavericks. Like that was the big wave, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I was always kind of like, yeah, you know, surf some pretty big waves, whatever. And he was always like, dude, I want to see what you got. And I'm like, <laughs> eh, like, I wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't see myself going to Mavericks. I was trying to kind of mm -hmm. avoid it. And he was in the contest and we were so close at that time. Um, and he loved talking to me, loved like the stuff, the motivational stuff that I would tell him that he's like, okay, you're going to be my board caddy. He's like, I want, I want you there during the contest to like, get me in a head space. And so I was his board caddy and, and, um, this was, I don't know, 2008 ish, some, some year around there. I think it was the first year Twiggy, Twiggy won. And, uh, there's this intermission at Mavericks where nobody would surf or very few people would surf between the semis and the final. And they would do that break so that the guys in the last semi had a break before the final so they could rest. So there'd be like this 45 minute intermission that if you wanted to, you could go surf. So skinny oh, wow. uh, had a board there and was like, dude, you're going to go surf. You're going to go surf. I want to see it. And just like 
just hassling me. And I was like, okay, I'm here. I got a board. The waves are perfect. I've always wanted to surf Mav. So what's stopping me? So I paddled over and ended up riding like six waves. Like wow. boom, 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 boom. Like was the lineup packed? Way. No, there was like four guys out. Three guys oh, out. wow. Wow. So it was like a once in a lifetime type of experience. Cause uh, Mavericks has so many guys out, like 10 yeah. guys is sketchy. Like oh, yeah. 20, 30, it's like 50 to 70 now. So you know, I literally was just doing laps. I'd paddle back out, another set would come and I'd catch a wave. So I was like, for 45 minutes, I was catching a ridiculous amount of waves, like heavy, big waves during the contest. And people were tripping and I was tripping because I was like, okay, I guess I could do this. Like, <laughs> And so since that day, I, you know, for the next 10 years, I went, I surfed Mavericks every time it broke. Wow. So it was, uh, it was definitely kind of the, I, it, it was, so much of big wave surfing is like mental. Like it's so hard just to show up, you know, like yeah. I, I was always blocked to like getting in the car, putting the board under my arm, going out to Mavericks, trying to do it. I was like, I'm not good enough. Like, I don't know if I want that. It's, it's too much stress pressure. I don't know what it was, Yeah. but it, it, that's what got me there. It was just like, here you are. And I mean, it was, I was so grateful that that happened because that's that's where it started. Dang. That's really where it started. Dang. That's amazing. So <laughs> that's pretty crazy a uh, story, you know, like you didn't really set out necessarily to even be a big wave rider. It's just you kind of got connected to this network and then got this opportunity and made the most of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was considered a professional server. Professional server, the definition is you're making money. And I was you know, getting paid from doing some contests and it wasn't getting paid from like sponsorships and stuff like that. But, you know, I was a, became this professional surfer. Everyone thought I made my living like that, but I always had my day job of being a sales rep Yeah, and never quit that. And that's how I paid the bills. It made things work. So, um, it was fun. It was always like, for me, there was one year that I got paid as a professional surfer, like 18 grand for that year. Just like <laughs> you can't live off that, but it nice to make some money, but it felt so weird to like be paid to go risk your life and to be paid such a small amount that I really wasn't even stoked on it. And <laughs> I I felt better being out there with no strings attached, you know? Mm -hmm. Like it was there was no monetary compensation for being out there. It was I was out there because I wanted to be. I don't know. I, I felt like that kind of allowed me to always kind of be in the right headspace when I wanted to be. Something that has always fascinated me by extreme sports and especially big wave surfing is the mental side of it. Getting your mind right to perform when the stakes are so high and consequences so great. The only thing I can compare it to is combat. When I was in Iraq, the majority of my unit's work was going on time-sensitive target raids. We would be told the location and identity of the targets, and then we would roll out as quickly as we could. I still remember how nervous and anxious those buildups were each and every time. It never got easier. But together, we would get our collective minds right to go out and perform. And as soon as the first round cracked through the air, all that fear and anxiety vanished, and we were locked in to a group flow state. 
It was make perfect decisions or risk death, or worse, getting someone else killed or hurt. Big wave surfing has many similarities, which I think helps these two communities connect just a little bit quicker than others. Yeah, I mean, from being around Operation Surf for so many years, um, and while surfing Mavericks, I always felt like, I mean, I never was a vet, I wasn't a veteran myself, I never had combat, so I can't say one's equal to the other, but the preparation felt similar to mm. like what you guys had went through, where you're, you got to make sure your gear's all right. You got to make sure your safety backups are okay. You got to make sure you're mentally ready. And then you're like going to war with the ocean and <laughs> you know, you're surviving shit that sh- you shouldn't be as a human. And, and every moment matters and you're playing yeah. chess with the ocean. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was amazing. I felt completely alive when I did it. And of course uh, it's the most fun I have ever had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really intense. And I always kind of, from having some friends that, you know, had passed away and seeing a lot of the risks out there, I always kind of took the approach, like, what could I learn from vets? What, what could I learn from guys that are in combat? Like, how are they going out? And they're going out in teams, even though big wave surfing was, is considered an individual sport. We all started looking at it as a, like a team sport, you know, yeah. like we got to look out for everybody, but who are we going to show up with that's going to make sure that we all come back out? After the first time Sean rode Mavericks during intermission, it was clear he would be a standout in the big wave community. He had prepped and put in his time surfing the gnarliest waves the Central Coast could offer. These waves were huge, but often incredibly sketchy. Big lefts into rocks, closeouts over shallow reefs, he put in his reps. Sean was also spending time getting his mind and body right. He got really hooked on meditation, visualization, and manifestation, and was constantly training for big waves. He would be on a walk or a drive and see a big grove of eucalyptus trees and imagine them being giant waves about to crush him and what he would do and the decisions he'd make to survive it. Sean had one goal in mind, to ride the biggest wave ever and set a world record. At the time, the world record was a 55-foot bomb surfed by Taylor Knox in Mexico in February of 1998. But we all know, records are meant to be broken. It was 2010, and Sean was still aboard caddy for Skin Dog. Ironically, He hadn't even been accepted into the contest yet. Mavericks 2010 will live on forever. And you didn't even need to be a surfer to get injured that day. 13 spectators were injured when a huge wave smashed into the seawall they were standing on and swiped them away. At intermission, Sean got his opportunity. For those of you that don't know, Mavericks is one of the world's biggest and deadliest waves. It's a break off Pillar Point in Half Moon Bay that sits 20 miles south of San Francisco. It's cold. It's super fast. It's extremely heavy and extremely violent. Not to mention shark infested. There are several books written about this iconic wave and a handful of movies, including Chasing Mavericks, which stars Gerard Butler, who he himself almost died while filming out there. 
Those few with the skill and guts to try and slay this beast might find the ride of a lifetime. It was huge, and um, I paddled out with the intention uh, that I was going to catch the biggest wave of my life and possibly the world record because the conditions were absolutely huge. It's the biggest day that was still ever paddled at Mavs. You know, that day is infamous. And the night before, I was meditating on the exact situation that happened to me, and I was like... It was trippy because I was in the sauna. I had been on the road with Skin Dog for two days. I was coming down with like a cold. I wasn't feeling good. So I got in the sauna. I started doing, um, you know, infrared sauna, heat, meditation, cold shower, back in the sauna, burned out whatever was in me and like got out of the sauna. My wife's like, because I told her before I went in, she's like, knew I was going to go caddy. And she's like, you're not going to surf, right? You don't look good. Like you're not feeling good. And I get out of the sauna, you know, like truly out of the sauna, walk in the house. She's like, looks at me. She's like, Fuck, like you're going to third maps, huh? And I'm like, hell yeah, it's on now. You know, it was just like, like That's I had the tool, right? Like, it's yeah. like these type of tools, like what's in your toolbox back then, this was the tool, my toolbox, to like get myself in the state to get myself, clear so I could get in that flow state and, and to see what I wanted to do. And yeah, it was trippy because it kind of all played out the way I had meditated on it. And the situation came and when that wave came, it was kind of a, at the moment at Mavericks, it was once in a lifetime because I haven't had that situation there at Mavericks again. And the wave itself, there was a whole story leading up to it, but I, I thought it was going to kick like die like i was so scared the wave was so big and it was so gnarly and it was by far the biggest wave i'd ever seen at that point and i was like scared to death like dude i wanted to run you know and luckily i'd done so much training that i was able to talk to myself and say like this is what you've been waiting for like it's either now or never you know and i found the chip in the wave, which is a, a sliver of the wave that was going to allow me to like paddle into it, paddled as hard as I could and caught that wave. And, um, I mean, at that point my life changed because I mentally and chemically, like, you know, you, you guys could probably relate. Like I had an experience that was so beyond me and so beyond mm. my perception that like, I felt like, chemically I had changed, you know, like I was walking around as a different person, but physically like, and all that stuff, like it turned out that it was a world record. I, you know, was on the stage of the XXL. I won um, that award, which was a huge thing to win at that time. And I was, you know, now I was synonymous with Mavericks. Like I was invited to the contest from there on out and like I had my stamp on the place. So it, it was, you know, a life-changing moment. And it's interesting because it was, it really kind of came down to the choice of like, do you want this or do you not, you know? And <laughs> Eddie fear, hear, right? The fear was really high. And there was a big part of me saying like, you really, are you sure you want this? That, you know, your head, but my heart wanted it. And I, I just know for a fact that if I didn't prepare myself for that moment, I wouldn't have made that decision. Yeah. It would have been too overwhelming. Just let it go. 
Yeah. That's the thing that's so crazy about surfing too. And there's so many metaphors to life. That's why I absolutely love surfing. But, you know, you're given these opportunities and you're given every chance to pull out. Like you are given <laughs> every chance, every opportunity to say no and to not do it, you know, and, and taking it can change your life for the good or for the bad, I guess. But, you know, it's, it's that risk that you're willing to take. And that's, that's just, uh, that's awesome, man, that you did it. And so that changes your life. And then you ended up breaking that record too. Yeah. Uh, that kind of came as a full surprise to me because I never expected in my life to do it twice. Like the first time was like, this is, I'm going to will this, this is going to happen. I was really actively working on it. But the second one, I felt like I was just kind of like had pre-designed my life and built the momentum that it was just natural that it happened again type of thing. Hmm. Like it wasn't like I wanted it, but I didn't want it. Like I wanted it the first time. And um, yeah, that was out at Cortez bank and the year and so I set the world record in 2010 with as a 55 foot wave. And then the next year, like a friend of mine and my hero, a big wave surfing, Shane Dorian, he beat my record. I think he was at 57 or 58 feet at Jaws the next year at the XXLs. So like, you know, it was like, you, I got the world record for one year. <laughs> Shane takes it. And I'm just like, ah, like, love the you know i mean it's it's, yeah. it's friendly competition but it's like so hard to, the guy's the best he's the best so um then the next year we're at cortez and we're all there together and yeah I, that that wave in particular was this that was the scariest thing i've ever done and being out in the middle ocean 100 100 miles out to sea there's no no land in sight uh we had you know i think three boats were out there like 12 plus of us, the best big wave surfers in the world. And I just sat the furthest out and the deepest. And, and I mainly did that just to kind of, kind of get away from everybody. I mean, I saw that that's where it seemed like the waves were connecting, but surfing with 12 of the best, if it's 12, but the best, the best guys in the world, were all out yeah, there in the pack. And it's like sun setting times running out. And I was knew that, I like the risks were higher and the chances were like less statistically, but yet you're by yourself. So all that changes, you know mm. what I mean? Like I was surfing on my own up at the top of the point. So I didn't have to compete with these guys for waves. And um, man, it was that advantage gave me such an upper hand when the set came through and um, yeah, I ended up, riding this insane wave that was judged at 61 feet and it was you know world record for a few years and what year was, was that still sorry what year was that that was 2012 12 okay so two years later yeah it happened yeah. pretty quick so you you then jump ahead of shane dorian yeah right yeah back. that's awesome yeah and um yeah so we've we've had a good little rivalry God, I, the guy is just st still to this day, the, I think the greatest big wave surfer it's ever been. But um, yeah, I mean, that's something I'll tell my grandkids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I got I to gotta give it to Shane Dorian. 
you know, we were competing against each other. You know, it's like, I'd find myself like in their, in his, and those guys' presence is like in awe, like they're yeah. masters of what they do. On September 7th, 2015, Sean's life would change forever. He was still the world record holder of the largest wave ever paddled into and surfed when he was injured and almost died. Yeah, it was just, it was a, just a freak accident. It happened um, south of Monterey, surfing in a, a really remote wave. And um, it's, it's just a nasty spot to get hurt on. It's like 2,000 vertical feet down hell of a hike even when you're healthy and uh yeah i i got pinned against the rocks by a set and i dove under a wave because i was kind of getting close to getting washed against a, a large rocks and uh when i dove under the water there was a shallow rock sticking up um that i couldn't see in my hands like split over it and i went head first into it and uh it was just really intense because time like stopped and I, you know, time slowed down and my neck was breaking and my was score. I was doing a scorpion, you know, like my mm -hmm. feet were coming over mm -hmm. my back and like, um, I, it felt like seconds and obviously it was like a millisecond, but my, I had to like brace my neck and hold my body to like keep my legs from fully going over. And you know, snapping my vertebrae and I'm totally aware this is all going down. And I held, I had a, I, it was really strong back then. I had a really thick, big neck and that's what saved my life. Like I did not let go. I held with all my might and did not allow my, my body to come over my head and my neck to snap. And, um, what ended up happening was I saved my spinal cord but because of that tension and force my literally my muscles were ripping apart the vertebrae in my neck so i was tendons and ligaments were ripping um i detached two of my spinous processes um and that's from muscles pulling them off the vertebrae you know just fucking shredded my neck did mm. two compression fractures but i i saved my spinal cord and um, I then it was, you know, there wasn't really anybody around to get their attention and I was just getting the shit beat out of me and, um, was trying to stay conscious, you know, I'd had a lot of, uh, emergency like response training and knew like, you know, I knew my neck was broken, but I, you know, you don't want to move. Right. Mm -hmm. I was trying to stay as still as possible, but I was getting just beat in a rock. So I had two choices which was either just to get slammed in the rocks and maybe blown in which really wouldn't be a viable option or to get on my board and try to paddle out through the main waves to a beach and so i had to get on my board and and fight through sets and just every time i get on my board i'd get hit by another giant wave and slammed rest you know wrestle back have to get back on my board it fucking hurt like i was in so much pain but it was like full survival i didn't really have a have a choice at this time and i uh got to the beach and i just kind of couldn't believe it you know i was like could not 
I, I mean, I thought for sure through this fight that I would break, you know, that I would go paralyzed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got to the beach and eventually some friends, um, joined me and, uh, <clears throat> you know, there wasn't cell phone reception or anything like that. And they were kind of tripping. They didn't really kind of know how badly I was hurt and I didn't really want to tell them. Yeah. Were you bleeding at all? Like you have cuts on your yeah, face? Yeah, I had, or... had a pretty big gash okay. down the top of my head and was bleeding really bad. Okay. Um, and uh, I just didn't, I wanted to get out of there. Like I had just been through that, all that shit and I was still moving and there was no cell phone reception and, you know, these guys were there and I, I had help. So I was like, you know, I didn't tell them the full extent to what was going on, but I was just like, let's just the fuck, let's get out of here. So, um, one of them, uh, happened to have a cane with him and, um, I walked behind him and took every step he did. And my other friend was behind me and I lost my balance multiple times and would get dizzy and fall, fall backwards. And they would, push me forward to keep me on my feet and hiked out of this really gnarly ravine up these switchbacks and out. And it took a while, but yeah. And I was like bleeding so bad. There was like flies all over me and it was just, it was gnarly, but it was like, just wanted to get out of there and get to the, eventually get to a hospital. And, you know, it, I don't know if that was the right decision, but it worked. And I, and I'm, here we are jeez man that's that's insane not many surfers have a story like that i don't know what the statistical odds would be of either one of us you know surviving (laughs) what we've survived but i'd rather take my story (laughs) earlier in our conversation i had shared with sean my entire story and he told me that i better not edit it out i'm sorry sean i've edited it out I promise I'll share it on this podcast before the season is over. I have a plan to do it as part of an episode with my best friend from service who also saved my life, and I won't let you down, Sean. Going back to Sean's story, I asked him, what got him back in the water? After such a traumatic event, you'd think that, you know, maybe you'd not surf for a while, but that's not what happened. Well, I mean, I just, I, I do love to surf being in the, being in the water is incredible. Like, I mean, like I take like typically every morning, about every morning I wake up before I do really anything right, right around my first cup of coffee, I go outside and just do like a cold shower, you know, like there's something about water just grounds me and helps me. And so like when I get in the water and surf, like there's this like electrical discharge and I feel better. So it's, it has to do with that. Um, I love riding a wave. It's just incredible. And I couldn't wait to get back. And I was injured in September and I waited till Christmas, Christmas. It was like the day before Christmas, right around Christmas. I went for my first surf and understand that like my traumatic brain injury was undiagnosed. I wasn't getting any treatment, um, didn't 
most people were telling me that I was fine or that I was just overreacting. Like, uh, so I had a gap helmet and I put it on, I paddled out and it was, I picked this like beautiful winter day. The waves were like two to three foot. So small, really easy to surf. I paddle out to sewer peak, like the place that I surf more than anywhere. It's like, you know, it's my backyard. I catch a wave stand up going down the line and there's a kid it's probably like 12 paddling over the wave and there's like this little barrel section and i tucked in to kind of pull in the tube nothing crazy but i'm just just cruising totally cruising next thing i know his board comes flying through the lip and hits me in the head no and uh yeah wipes me out you know, knocked in the head and I just freaked out. I feel really bad. I totally freaked out being like, I didn't know really kind of what happened. Where did this board come from? And I was upset at the kid. <laughs> you know, I, I later apologized to him, but I fully had like the full kind of PTSD, like, duh, like, you know, like I couldn't believe it. Like the first wave I ride after my accident, surfboard hits me in the head so i found the kid apologized to him told him what happened to me i i don't even feel so bad i'm this kid somewhere out there i i probably surf with him all the time and he's too embarrassed to tell me but i don't remember who he is or anything i mean i wasn't really in the best mental state in general at this time so i just went in i i went in that was my way and it was like, a, you know, it was like, all right, what is the universe trying to tell me? It's trying to tell me, like, you're not ready, don't surf yet, number one, obviously. But two, it was like, it was just, a, it was some type of a message. You know what I mean? Like, how, how ironic is that? that? That That's how it goes. And, <clears throat> you know, talking to Dr. Cook, one of my favorite doctors, I told him about it. He's like, you know, I felt like such a victim, like, I can't believe this happened to me. And I was telling the story and he's just like, well, how come you didn't see the board? How come you didn't see the kid? He's like, the old Jew, you never would have gotten hit by that board. You would have seen the whole situation happen. He's like, you're not, your brain isn't firing like it used to. And you aren't seeing everything in the full scope. And I was like, Fuck, you're right. Like, I have no business being on a surfboard right now. And so realistically it was probably like close to a year later that I surf, you know, a year after full year after my accident, it's been over five years since my accident. And it definitely took a close to a year before I started getting any momentum on recovery. And I was mentally getting worse, you know, month five, I was still continuing to get mentally worse. And the doctors, nobody could understand why you know but my neural health was deteriorating quickly like so many of us who suffer with tbi sean was getting frustrated and losing hope but the thing is if you keep digging if you keep trying if you keep looking for something that will help you eventually you'll find something and it will give you hope yeah there was definitely three big moments that, like I would call like jumps where the first one was 
getting in the hyperbaric chamber and getting out, like I was such a mess. And when I left, when I walked out of that chamber, I was like, whoa, like I can think like I, the brain fog is like way less. Like I felt like I had just recovered like 30%. Like it was like, this is incredible. You know, like I wasn't in this like chemical soup anymore. Yeah. Um, I proceeded to do like 80 rounds of hyperbaric, but we found that like, I wasn't, it, it was like putting a bandaid on a wound. Like it, yeah. I wasn't fully getting better. Like I just keep like regressing mm-hmm. and I do hyperbaric, I get better at regress. So it wasn't, I couldn't do hyperbaric for the rest of my life that much. Yeah. Uh, and so then, um, I, connected with Dr. Gordon and after like one month, two months, you know, it doesn't like start immediately. It it takes time. Um, by month two or three, I was like, Holy shit. Like, this is like, this is the other piece of that puzzle. And, you know, to be honest, like I could have went and had a great life, like have just focused. If I stopped there, like hyperbaric and hormone therapy. And of course there's a whole bunch of other, modalities thrown in from chiropractic to anyway on and on and on but it was those two things where i was like okay i've had a really great recovery i'm doing much better but i still wasn't even close to 100 percent. but i was functioning i was again could have had a good life dr gordon has helped thousands of patients recover from tbi including myself if you're suffering from a brain injury and you feel like nothing is helping you, I would 100% reach out to Dr. Gordon. If you happen to be a veteran, I would reach out to the Warrior Angel Foundation, which has partnered with him and brings his treatment protocols to veterans. Warrior Angels Foundation is ran by Andrew Marr and his brother. Andrew is a former Green Beret who left service because of the residuals of his TBIs and you can hear his story on the website he wrote a book called Tales from the Blast Factory and recently came out with a documentary that Sean Dollar is in as well which is called Quiet Explosions you can find it on Amazon Video or Vimeo so check them out warriorangelsfoundation.org Sean had one more breakthrough that was extremely transformative for him when he got help from Dr. Cook doing stem cell therapy. Dr. Cook at BioReset was doing a bunch of work on my neck, rebuilding my neck and dealing with pain management and dealing with the physical break that I had, Mm -hmm. which was radical. Um, He brought me in to do stem cell therapy and we did it where we do about a 200 like 250 million stem cells get injected to you through an iv and yeah you can't do this in the us so we went down to mexico and did it and holy shit like that was gnarly like i literally left we i we drove into a facility into tijuana us basically a us facility um, you know, park, go up into the parking garage, go into this really nice clinic, do the IVs, 
within two hours, we're back in the car going home and on my flight home to, from San Diego. But literally, like, it was like the lights were on, the fog was gone. I walked into my house and my wife was waiting up for me and she just started crying. Like, she just, like, I was back. I was literally back and I felt like I was back. And that day forward, I mean, I've had to work every day to keep it up and I have some bad days, but that was the day that I really like, it's like, okay, I got this. Like I'm going to have that recovery I dreamed about, you know? So that's uh, epic. I mean, I, I'm very privileged and very lucky that I've had so much exposure to like this insane amount of treatments that are really expensive and are really cutting edge. But, you know, my kind of purpose now is to to talk about them and to share them so that other doctors want to do them. And that, you know, part of the reason that all this stuff is so hard to get and so expensive is not enough doctors are doing it. Yeah. But, you know, the truth of the matter is there's, there's so much experimental stuff going on out there for the brain and the body that is totally working that I really believe in like five to 10 years, it's going to be pretty mainstream. There is one more aspect of Sean's recovery story that I actually find the most inspirational. For those of us who've experienced a life-changing trauma, injury, or event, we will have to face an extremely hard transition. We have to face the death and shedding of our old self and our old identity and accept our new one if we're going to move forward. Most people I have met get stuck mourning that loss for a long time, myself included, and some never move on. It was a hell of an experience and I was still trip out. Like, I don't, you know, I don't feel like that person anymore, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's fun to talk about and I could meditate on that feeling and it comes back to me of riding that wave and I can go back to it. It's just, I choose most of the time not to, cause I'm like trying to live in this different headspace, and it's so trippy. Like, I mean, I, I would have guessed like that guy that was in Iraq is, is how much of that still exists in your body. Like, it's almost like you can't even picture who that guy is. Right. Yeah. I don't know how long it takes the body to replace all your cells, but I think it's like seven years or something seven like years, that, yeah. you know? Um, but it, it feels like that, you yeah. know, it's, it, and, and that's something that veterans can relate to your story so much too. And I think for any professional athlete who was at the top of their game or whatever, and, um, you know, you get injured or, you know, you have something happen to you, or even just, you know, you retire and you're not that, that, that micro life or whatever dies, you know, and, and you got to reinvent yourself. And, for me, you know, that's getting wounded. Um, it's really weird to go from like a 19-year-old soldier who's jumping out of airplanes and doing all these crazy things, being at war, and then getting wounded and being completely useless, like laying in bed, not I can't get myself up, I can't eat, I can't do anything on my own. Um, and unfortunately for me, you know, I had all my limbs and I had... Um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I had some spinal cord damage, 
um, there was some bones that kind of pressed up against the spinal cord they were worried about for a while. But, um, you know, luckily, and, and thankfully, I, you know, was not like a quadriplegic or paraplegic or anything like that. Um, cause a lot of people that's even more life changing, right? Like yeah. forever you have an identity crisis is more than a crisis, like an identity death. You know, you no yeah. longer, you know, you know, the Sean now, right. Is not going to be breaking that 61 foot record again. And you have to like come to terms with that, come to terms with, and it would have happened with age, you know, or whatever else, but it's like, you now have to become a new Sean and you have to accept like there's some things I really don't like about myself back then but I have to get to a place where I can see it from a new perspective and go like all of it's good and all of it has gotten me here and where I'm at now and where I'm at now is so much better in a different way you know um and uh yeah that's a it's a really tough thing to go through it is I was uh I mean, that's such an important subject matter for, for myself and that's, and so like, how do you identify with yourself after, especially when you've had a traumatic injury that changes your life and you're no longer who you were and you're pulled out? Like, I mean, I literally was a two-time world record holder with the current world record. And now I am completely injured and will probably never surf big waves again and struggling just to like be a competent person no longer at all the shadow of a man I used to be and I was really lucky there was a man named Peter that came into my life and um he is just this amazing human being that's like his whole thing is meditation and he's just like an intuitive like he can like read you and I walked into this I was involved with this uh flow state group um and he was there and it was just so amazing because I he kind of like had captured me at this one point where he had my attention and he was just like it could tell he was like waiting to talk to me and I'm still concussed I'm like starting to like get into hyperbaric starting to get better but I am just like a wreck I'm a Mm -hmm. fucking wreck because mainly what I'm dealing with every day is like I looked good I look normal and everyone's like, when are you going back to Mavs? When are you going to get back in it? And I'm like, new, I'm probably never or I'm not. And everybody sees me of who I was, which I'm no longer anymore. So I was, I was really struggling with that every single day. And he pulled me aside and was like, Hey, you know, like you're, you know, you, you played with like the solar system, you know, like you played with the universe. Like you did things as a human that people will never really understand or feel. Most people won't. I think you guys as vets do like talking about like flow state, you know, like time slows down and you're manipulating. And he's like, you think you've missed that feeling. You'll never get it again. And that's what you're like mourning. You're wondering if you're ever going to get that again. And he was like, look, he's like, you're going to be okay. And we're going to teach you like how to like, instead of riding those waves, I want to teach you to like ride like the universe like that, like ride your life like that. And that you can have that feeling through other things. And it was like the biggest pressure release for me to like, hear somebody say that 
and uh, you know to to find like that my purpose doesn't have to be that anymore and that everything I've learned isn't for loss because I can't do it. I just need to learn how to do that with other things now. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared that on a podcast or even in, in an interview before, but uh, I think like, that's what we're doing right now. You know what I mean? Like finding that like happiness and balance and, flow state in my life and like I mean I miss that old me a little bit but I'm really happy right now and I'm really like in a good place most of the time I have yeah. moments I'm not perfect that's awesome talk to my wife but like yeah like we can like we can detach from that old us and become this like grounded happy person that is living in this peaceful flow state that's not like life or death anymore yeah 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 well both of our you know parasympathetic nervous systems have you know (laughs) been stretched to the limits and you know we need that time to to kind of um find that balance again in the last episode i talked with ash about how it's so much easier to stay sick and stay in the darkness It takes so much work to find balance and healing. There are no shortcuts, unfortunately. Sean attacked his recovery with the same discipline and hard work he used to set both world records. And one of the hardest things to do along that journey is to move on from your old self and accept and love the new one. To use another ocean metaphor, it's like how a crustacean needs to shed its outer layer as it starts to grow. And for a time, it's soft and vulnerable, but then they become themselves again. And sometimes in life, our forms and systems that used to be beneficial for us no longer are. They can no longer accommodate for our growth. It might be being a big wave surfer for Sean, the military for us veterans, or even a job or relationship. We have to let go of the past and look to the future to find our highest potential. It's hard, really hard, and it takes a lot of work. And not just once, but every single day. But I can tell you, and Sean can tell you, it's worth it. So never give up. And sometimes, we're not ready. We're not ready for the growth yet. And that's okay too. Just know there's a lot of people like myself and Sean who will be here when you're ready. Moving forward, what are you doing now? What's your, your you know, goals, aspirations, all that kind of stuff? So, I don't know. I guess, you know, for, for me, you know, my day, I run a, a sales agency and represent a whole list of brands. And so most, most days are pretty intense, like showing up for work um, requires a lot, a lot of brain power, a lot of energy. And um, so it's like, and then two kids, I got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. So you know what that's like? It's it's on all the time from the moment I wake up. So I try to get up like an hour before them and, have my coffee, do a quick 
meditation or at least like just have some time to myself. I, um, been doing in the morning in the dark, like, like I said, like a, a cold shower for like 30 seconds to a minute, which just really helps kind of snap me into like my body and being present. And uh, I do that when I'm like getting frustrated too, like it really helps. Uh, but you know, my days are pretty routine. Just tr- I really just, I love being a dad and I love trying to be there for my kids and try to do the best I can with work. And now, um, we started, uh, filming a documentary about kind of what I went through and the point of me doing this doc is to share the modalities and the stuff I've learned about brain health and this conversation to take that. What's that called? And when's it come out? I don't know what it's going to be called and it'll probably at least be a year out. Um, we just started filming like a, a month ago. Sweet. But, um, but yeah, it's, that's been a big leap of faith for me because I really don't care to make a movie about myself. <laughs> like that's, it's not going to be like this ego movie and it's hard to like, it's hard for me to do this, but this conversation that we're having right now is really important. And this conversation is going to happen in that movie. That's awesome. And um, I really think it's so important to like share that a, rec- a mental recovery is possible. Yeah, And so um, we'll see where this takes us, but it's kind of become my mission to, you know, share and talk about this stuff and to show people that, you know, there's, there's actually a lot you could do because I struggled for months begging neuro neurologists, begging doctors for help and getting no help, no direction, not even like hope Yeah, um, that that just wasn't fair. I, I felt that that's not fair. It's not fair to like, have a head injury and to have zero information available to you. And I want that to end. I want people to be able to learn and see that there's a way out. And just by even knowing, you know, like when I first learned that you could actually heal a brain, that you're not stuck with the brain you have, like just that, that hope, everything changed. You know, and so that's just what I want people to have, you know, same, same thing you do, same thing you understand, you know, like somebody struggling for six months is too long. Somebody struggling for a month is too long, you know, like brain recovery needs to start immediately. That's what I want this podcast to be as an inspiration, which this conversation has been. And if it can um, show one person, you know, just, just one more turn in their path, you know, yeah, go here or do this, or this is helpful. You know, um, I hope it does. Yeah. It's worth it. it, Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, thank you so much for coming on and have a, have a wonderful night. Sorry. I took you away from the fam for so long. (laughs) It's all good. It's worth it. All right, right. dude. All right. Take care. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have an incredible day filled with stoke. Until next time, I'm your host, Lance Junker, and this has been another episode of Bombs and Barrels. If you enjoyed listening, consider donating to the podcast on our website at bombsandbarrels.com. Click on the donate button, or better yet, give to one of the epic veteran organizations I have listed there as well. 
There is also extra content on the website, like epic pictures of Sean surfing some of these incredible giant waves, social media links, etc. Intro and outro music is always by Vince Chimo. And join us next time with another conversation with another Sean. Sean Meyer, the founder of Veteran Surf Alliance. In emotion.